This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. What a friend we have in Welcome to the Talking Devils podcast. Hopefully I've got a familiar voice to some of you listening. Um, if you've listened before to us on the um, We Are The Busby Boys podcast, I just wanted to start this episode by explaining the difference. Um, due to um, the changes that we've done in our recent recording process and a server issue that we had, I mean, hopefully you will have noticed an improvement in sound quality in, in recent weeks but that means that we had to make a bit of a change um, so we decided to start fresh uh, one thing that won't change thankfully is my chance to talk to Paul every week so for regular listeners I say welcome back for those that are new I should introduce us well especially me um, be unknown to some of you um, I'm Wayne Barton I'm a football writer and author specialising on Manchester United and I'm joined by Paul who is Paul Parker Manchester United former full-back who um, represented the club with some distinction. Paul, um, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Uh, not too bad. I have been went to my first Premier League game in three months on Friday night and it wasn't a bad game to go to, to be honest, given how some of them have been over the weekend. I, I went to one of the better games over the weekend. What's it like going back to football, Paul? I mean, it's been a while. It was... It was difficult just getting my head around what was going on, to be honest, really, just to the fact of my usual routine was changed slightly because I wasn't jumping on a train because, in theory, as a co-commentator, they'd rather you drive into the ground and drive in and rather than seeing you come off a train and then everything was all over the place, the organisation of getting into the grounds, but and then you just go straight to your seat rather than go into a the lovely lounge at um, the new White Hart Lane. You had to go straight to your seat. And it was different in that sense. Um, the football took a while to get going. When it did get going, it was fine, but you just know that the fans make a difference in that sense of that little bit of noise, and you know that certain players react will react in a different way with that kind of noise, some positive, some negative. But it did. the game did kind of miss that in a way. But once I started going at it, at times I forgot I actually forgot forgot about it because I got so engrossed in the game because it it was a decent game that I kind of forgot about the fans around and maybe that was maybe the noise piped around us had something going on in the ear but I still did I did find the game Friday evening quite enjoyable after the initial 20 minutes where 
everybody was kind of like learning, it was like trying to learn to swim again for a lot of them, really. There was, you know, the weight of past, uh, getting that touch on the ball of, a, you know, trying to, of a different intensity to what they've been working at in training, really. So players were still getting used to it. And I think we'll, we'll find it get better and better as it goes on. Still going to miss the fan, um, fans being in there, but the football will definitely improve as the players go on and on because they're learning to um, to work work with new with with new toys, I suppose. Really, a different a different theme. So once they get used to it, they'll move on and everything will improve. Yeah. So the game we should say that um, Paul was that was the Spurs Manchester United one uh, yeah. naturally. Um, watching it as a fan from the TV. Um, we had the piped crowd noise in and the commentator on the feed that I had was almost drowned out by that. I couldn't really hear the commentator speaking. Um, I, I, I understand that the, the players don't hear the, the the fan noise, but you said that you were listening to it. So you're doing the commentating as the broad, on the broadcast feed for what it been radio. So yeah. are you getting a, a, a support noise piped into your feed as well? Yeah, we, we, I could hear, there was definitely something in the background. I, I wouldn't say I could hear it clearly, but there was definitely something which does help you rather than, otherwise you get a little bit conscious that you might be talking too loud and, you know, and people are looking at you a bit strangely. So you need something just to dampen yourself down a bit. But going back to what you said about was coming from, coming, you know, through the TV screens and with Martin Tyler, I've seen a few people mentioning that this morning and Martin Tyler does talk quite quiet to be honest, really, he's quite quiet. So I would say it wasn't so much about the pipe noise. I think it's more about Martin Tyler himself in that sense because I'm sure Gary was coming coming across uh-huh. quite loud. He looked like it because, I mean, I saw Gary. Gary was, well, Gary was about three, four feet in front of me and the way he was talking, you know, his, his mouth was wide open, so I'm assuming there was a load of noise coming out of him. So, um, so so it's about Martin. And when you do speak to Martin personally, and I've known Martin a long, long time, through, through when, um, when I was definitely involved in non-league football, Martin was very much involved with um, Woken Town, Woken Football Club, I should say. So um, he is a softly spoken man anyway, if anyone does know him out there. So that was more about him and maybe something that would have been said to him. And I'd, I'd be very surprised if that was to happen again. Yeah, like I said, I don't even necessarily think it's about the the volume of the voices to do with the the volume of what they're piping in um, mm. and how natural it feels. Uh, so t- yeah, talk to me about the game then, because obviously, I mean, you said something there which I think was right. It felt a little bit like a training match from the start because it took a a little bit to get going, didn't it? But um, I mean. In some ways, you would liken it. We said this on the last episode, the, the last time that we talked, that it was going to feel like the first game of a new season, and it kind of did. But then once they got into a pace, it still felt different, didn't it? You know, it's. it's I remember the um, just before the first break, um, Rashford gets a chance from a cross. First of all, the defender you think probably would dealt would have dealt with that better in, in a crowd situation and Rashford perhaps reacts a little bit better. It felt a little bit like that first 20-odd minutes before the first break, it did very much feel like a training match, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was a bit like that in a way. Players trying to feel their way into it. Players, Some players a little bit scared to get onto it because they didn't know what they was dealing with. But the, the hardest thing for me, I found, is not getting caught up in caught up in saying cliches to be perfectly honest in what was going on that was the hardest bit of trying to think of something different not to go down a line of no one being there wanting those players to be professional wanting them to block that off and just get on and play football but it was very very difficult on my side but even more difficult for them as players and I think that I think the game for, for that instant and that instant only that game needed that drinks break for then, for the managers then to talk to their players and get them, and get them to you know just to calm them down and let them understand. Yeah, that everyone knows it's different, but now you got to go and you got to go there and do it. Not that I agree with a drinks break. I think it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. When it's chucking down with rain and you're giving the players water, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. 
the whole thing that's going on with those drinks break because it, it kills momentum and it did kill United in the second half with that, with that, set, with that drinks break. But after that, you could see that United, after that drinks break, were, and even a little bit prior, were the better of the two teams. Not that they were both good. As much as on paper that Tottenham looked attacking... Then you have to remember who their manager was, yeah. or is, I should say. And remember, if he had Maradona, Pele, Messi, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho joining in with Harry Kane, he would still get them all to track back. Yeah. So um, we knew that Tottenham, doesn't matter what it was there, there was always going to be a negative to what to the way they looked on paper, and it showed that way in what the way they was going. And to jump forward to the back end of the game, when you take off Lamella and Bergvine, who were their best two attacking players, and maybe the better of their players on the pitch, you take them both off, that says a lot about what Spurs were about. That says a lot, and if there was a crowd in there, and the same scenario had carried on with the crowd, I think the Tottenham fans would have booed because of that decision to take off their two brightest players that evening off the park. It done a favour to United because straight away United took the took the game on to Tottenham because they didn't really have a threat. Sun's still trying to get into it. Harry Kane, Harry Kane was still back at the training ground because he wasn't out there. I don't know who was out there wearing that number 10 shirt, but it certainly wasn't Harry Kane. So um, the long and short of it is really, I think there was two points missed there for United. They deserved to come out of it with three points because they were the more progressive side, the side that wanted to go and do something. The addition of Pogba coming on made a big, big difference. All those people out there who want to come out and questioning whether Pogba could play with Fernandes, I really don't know if they're football fans or people who just want to try to get um, thrown in clickbait on, into, onto their Twitter onto their Twitter page or whatever you call it. I really don't understand that, how people thought those two couldn't play together. The quality of both of them says it all. One who is an incredible, incredible dribbler, not a dribbler, but he's so confident on the ball. And you've got the other one in Pogba who comes on and, you know, you put him in, you put him in the middle of a marketplace, you throw the ball into a tight area, he'll pick it up and he'll find someone with it, as with that pass to Rashford. And Rashford had a great first touch, but the defending by Davison Sanchez was absolutely immense. He had no right to be getting there because I, I just felt and just felt that um, Rashford's touch was immaculate off his left side. Incredible, and maybe someone will say if you really wanted to pin him down off his left foot, he should have gone across the front of Davison um, Davison Sanchez. But he put it in front of him to hit it with his left side. Couldn't do any more than what he'd done and. So I was quite, I was in, in a way quite pleased with what I saw of Manchester United, given the scenario, given how they finished prior to lockdown, and given that first game, I said that United have definitely, or just slightly moved on from the way they finished up in that sense. More so because they got Rashford, who still looked a bit rusty, but Paul Pogba, who, with, with the way he come on, there's a bit of fire in the belly. Yeah, no, that that's definitely fair. Um... About the goal then, Paul, um, because um, you, you were right, I think United were in the ascendance, so they looked very comfortable. Mm. Spurs, when they had uh, openings, they tend to came down the um, left-hand side because Ollie had decided that he was going to play um, Rashford as a sort of outside left and he, didn't gonna, he wasn't going to give him many um, defensive options. Uh, well defensive responsibilities so it was left to Luke Shaw who was um, exposed a couple of times the Spurs goal comes straight after the restart the first restart you've got a, a long goal kick Shaw probably could do better with the header then you could say that Maguire and Fred are turned both of them are turned too easily and then the shot goes straight at De Gea and he palms into the net I honestly, when I was looking back, and I remember thinking at the time, I thought four players were probably at blame for that goal. Um, David De Gea's got the majority of it. Um, certainly an avoidable one. Where do you stand with that? Um, I always look at I always, you look at the start of it, and you look at Luke Shaw and his defender, and you you look at the way he's headed that ball. He was just happy to get his head on it. There was nothing about it to say that he was 
desperate and he was saying, no one's getting in this zone. No, I'm going to clear. I'm just going to pull it as high as possible. If I can't get a good long header on it, I'm going to go high. That'll give time for the team to adjust. He didn't. He was happy to get his head on it. That tells me that that's not thinking naturally as a defender. That's just cosmetic football. And he... he and that's what, and that's the way he played in that game. To be honest, because it wasn't, there wasn't great defensive work. We can talk about Fred to a point, but I just question the captain of Manchester United, and <clears throat> got no great pace. So he decides that when he approaches someone who's got good pace, that he shows them inside, mm. and doesn't matter how how you know slow you are. If you if you're defending in that bit of the park. You show them wide, and what you're doing is you're hoping that that works out that way, and what you can do, you can push him away from the goal. You don't have to be the quickest to push anybody to away from the goal. He could have then maybe got his shoulder cross into him and do that, but he decided to go there and just, just go flat-footed. He was so flat-footed. I mean, if, that, if you put that in a book for kids and could, kids defending, you would sue him. Because that's not, that's not defending. That was just something you would see. I'm not even going to... You wouldn't want to see any professional defender ever defend like that. I wouldn't even expect to see anybody at a decent non-league level defend like that because every manager would call them out and say, you can never approach anybody flat-footed, more so when you've got no great pace. I played with somebody who everyone wanted to... I'm sure that before every game, people turned around and said to two centre-halves I played with... Just get, they've got no pace. When you get a chance, just run past them. How many, I, I never, I can't remember in my mind the two centre-halves, the two centre-halves I played with, whoever, very, whoever got caught like that, going in like that. One of them was Alan McDonald and the other one was Steve Bruce. But they were clever. They knew how to defend. And if they put themselves, they was in a flat position, they would put, they would, they would straight away then turn in and step in their line and take a card. That's what they would do. He wasn't close enough to do that. He was so far away. He had enough time to adjust his feet, drop his knees a bit and get a little bit lower so he can work his feet. His gravity's that little bit lower, but he didn't. <clears throat> it was sloppy. It was lazy. Bergvine stormed past him. Strength, power, everything. And then he goes in there and he hits no backlift and he hits the shot with so much ferocity and I have to say, <clears throat> it catches the hair out. He wasn't expecting that to come like that. And you can turn around and you can have a go at him. And I, I know Roy has really gone, at, gone at, at him. And he's gone very direct, very, very direct at him. And he's said some things there. And in certain ways, <clears throat> I love Roy. But I think to myself, you have to look where the problem started from. There was two up, there was. To at least two opportunities when that could have been dealt with and yet it goes to him he only gets one chance the goalkeeper one chance and it hits him he doesn't get a strong enough contact with it. but was that shot hit so hard that he couldn't get a chance to get his wrist straight enough so it bounces off that further away that far well further away you know to go 100 to blame him 100% for that goal we have to remember there was episodes prior to that that weren't dealt with. It wasn't great work by Bergvine. Someone just opened up the road. It was like coming off a B road in a town centre and going straight onto the M25. On you go, boy. Go and do what you want when you get when you get there to, to get there to, to what you're aiming to do is score a goal. Do whatever you want because two people, at least two people, allowed it to happen. Namely, the captain. And I really do believe, and I'm saying this to you now, I'm just moving on a little bit. For me, I'm looking at a team that's getting relegated this season. I'm thinking about a team. I know a team they've got to because they're just not good enough. They have a decent, a very good left-sided centre-half, a natural left-sided centre-half with a left foot who can pass the ball like a dream. He can jump. Incredible. He can, act he can actually... Sprint, he can sprint, he gives balance when he passes the ball. He'll go out to his left, he can run down his left and pass. He will not check back inside and give it backwards. His name is Nathan Aki. 
So I think if you're going to go out and you want balance in your team to really improve Manchester United as a defensive team with and without the ball, go and get a proper left-sided centre-half who is naturally comfortable on his left side defending and attacking. Um, Harry, Harry Maguire is not comfortable defending on his left side or attacking because he will never use his left foot. He can't use his left foot. I don't see him use it. He only uses it when he has to, when he has to swing at it. Put him on the right side to play next to, play next to Nathan Aki. Nathan Aki will cover around him to allow him maybe to feel confident to get tighter with people. doesn't want to get tight because he's scared of pace. Yeah, and... The, the point we made about Fred allowing him, uh, allowing Bergvine to get in as well. This is the point where we were talking about Nemanja Matic last week, and you know the sort of defensive screening that he does. Yes, he's a cynical player sometimes, but he's also professional in that aspect. That every it, good, sorry, Wayne. Every good team has a cynical player. Yeah. Man City have got Fernandinho. Yeah, exactly that, and the cynical part of me says that Matic breaks that up. In a way that Fred, yeah, he's clever. Fred follows the ball, doesn't he? He's, he's watching yeah. it, and you know, fair enough to Fred. He's trying to be fair and play the game, but you need someone like Matic in a game like that. So it brings on to the question, Paul: Was the selection a little bit too apprehensive? I mean, yes, you're playing at Spurs. Yes, it's a big game, but you know that Spurs are not going to be ambitious under Mourinho, like you said. So, did we really need to be playing? I mean, even if you're going to play two holding midfielders. One of them's got to be Matic, hasn't it? Yeah, Matic, Matic deserved the right to be playing. So did Fred. Fred, both of them. But I look at that game and I'm, I'm one of them. I, I, just somebody, I'm, I've said it a few times <clears throat> with you, Wayne, under the other name, of course, not, not in, this, not in this, new pod, this new name podcast, but I've turned around and said that, because it was said by <clears throat> Manchester United's greatest manager, <clears throat> excuse me, is a sentiment... You can't allow sentiment to affect your decisions in football. And he's right. Now, I just think that maybe Ollie was thinking about the players who had done what they've been doing for him over this, throughout his tender, have really done well for him. They've, they've had, their, they had their up, then they had a down, but they're still stuck in there. Players have come from nowhere to make a difference to that team. And as individuals, Matic and Fred have made a difference in that sense. United have improved because that midfield has got stronger. There's a young boy, McTominay, who is running around and <clears throat> chasing the ball around, getting too emotional on a lot of occasions, too emotional. And you can never be that in top-level football because it will cost you. But Manchester United, they, would have made, they could have gone against Spurs, a Mourinho team, with two attack-minded midfield players and had one holding midfield player. And that should have been someone like Matic who would have sat in front of a Maguire and stopped people getting up the side of him, stopped the ball getting through. He would have seen a danger, he would have dropped in there, then he would have got hold of the ball. And the way he plays, he, he plays, there could be 25,000 wasps around his head. He would never, ever have his hands around his face trying to swap them away. He would rise above them and still make that simple pass. That's the way he plays. And it needed that. It was too, it was too defensive what he's trying to do. There wasn't every improvisation, anything creative was coming through one player. The moment they got Pogba on there, Tottenham really struggled. And that's maybe the reason why, that maybe in a certain way, that Mourinho done what he'd done because he was looking at... He virtually settled that he was going to try and win the game 1-0 one, one early on. And then once he came to 1-1, one, one, he went, I'll take 1-1. One, one. He didn't want to get beat by one of his old teams. It's another one of his kind of record things. People were throwing up stats the other night, and I don't listen to stats because the game is about now. But he was, he was thinking about that, so he's got another story to tell in one of his press conferences because it was a typical Manchester, Mourinho Manchester United performance for Spurs in that second half. And you could hear disgruntlement from a few kind of Spurs people around. They could see it. And they're starting to get fed up with it. He's doing a Manchester United to Tottenham. Tottenham are an outgoing and everyone enjoys watching Spurs play. They've, they've got a way of playing. They've got a way of playing. They've, they've got that same way about Manchester United of playing with some kind of swag, swagger. They've got... Um, good individuals with great ability with the ball at their feet and imp improvisation and creativity. That's all been sucked away. 
Manchester United should have gone with that at Spurs, knowing that Spurs were going to be negative. Because you look at their back four, you look at the right back, you look at Davison Sanchez, you look at Dyer. We saw what happened to Dyer, Dyer by name, and in his game. Yeah. It's just, you saw that, what Pogba done to him. It was, it was incredible what Pogba done to him. Not surprising, but it was that, you know, that's an Ingl- England international who people think maybe should be centre-half rather than a midfield player. I don't know where he should be playing. So there was an opportunity miss, three points missed there for United to go and get because they've got a tough game against Sheffield United next. Mm-hmm. A really tough game against Sheffield United. A different, a different game completely against the Sheffield United side who've only picked up one point, which is absolutely amazing considering how things were prior. And, you know, and they should have had at least three because the Aston Villa game was a joke. So I think that Oli has to look at it and think, he's got Pogba back now. Pogba, he has to play him in the next game. He can't leave him on the side now. He's got to play him. He, he can't get him back in a way, then lose him again by thinking he's got to, he's got to look after people because they've been good to him before. Football doesn't give you enough time as a manager to kind of do that. So he's got to get those two in the park because they're at home and then seriously think about who's going to be with them. And I think it should be Matic, without, in my opinion. If it's not Matic, it should be Fred. Very interesting point. We've had a, a couple of um, pieces on the Talk of the Devils website which are worth discussing um, from former players. Gordon Hill says um, about the Pogba and Fernandez thing. Um, he thought that when they came on, or when Pogba came on, he thought because they were trying too hard, they were a little bit too individual. But that obviously it's worth persevering for the combination to work because they were the better players. And he mentioned that you know the midfield that he played alongside was Lou Macari and Sammy McElroy, both attacking players, which is you know it says United are taking the game to the opposition. And yes, against Spurs, you could sort of see the reservation in doing that, especially because you know maybe. Ollie's playing a, a long game with wanting Pogba to earn his place in the team, but Gordon's got a point, hasn't he? You know, you can, you definitely, you've got to start playing them both in the same team, and and because they're basically your two best outfield players, you've got to play them in every game, haven't you? Oh, of course, without a doubt. And if you're Rashford, you're gonna you're gonna go. Yes, you want them out there because they're instinctive in what they do. I mean, the pass, as I mentioned earlier, from Pogba mm. to to Rashford, that wouldn't have happened. If that wouldn't have happened if Fernandez, if Fernandez was there, or, or and Pogba on the side, that wouldn't have happened. Rashford would have been chasing around, trying to find the ball and then run at people. Now he's not having to do all the hard work now, all the grinding. He's there, just sitting there, waiting for it to a good chance of it being delivered to his big toe. Come to me, football, and all I do is try and do the best I can after that and take the criticism from there, rather than having to do other people's work to get on the ball and get criticised. So he's making his life e- easier in certain ways. We're looking at Martial, and to be honest, I'm looking at Martial, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and and I'm not getting anything different. I'm still seeing the same, the same picture, the same story with Martial. I was looking for him to make an, a point. I'm saying now that Oli has to make another decision. He's up against Sheffield Wednesday. Three centre-halves, you need a centre-forward who is going to come and get the ball to feet, face up, and allow the Pogbas, the, um, the Fernandes and the Rashford to play off him. That's what he needs. Someone to, you need so they can bounce the ball into him and then he can give it back and then decide when he wants to be able to turn or pull away to get space in between those three centre-halves. And that will isolate and that, that will stop those centre-halves underlapping, overlapping, because they'll be worried about the movement of that front man in between them, because he will do that. And the people who he will invite to run beyond, beyond him because they know that he can keep hold of that ball, because if he can't keep hold of it, <clears throat> he will earn the foul. That's what he does in Gala. That's what he will do for Manchester United can't go with Martial he had that chance I think now be harsh put him in there you've kept him on you've got him now until such time use him and give him a bit of a run and I think you'll get somebody who will appreciate that accept it and deliver because he can't believe he's still at Manchester United use him don't use him as a bit part try and see what you can get and really find out what he can do for United in this, in this, in this short term season now what's left of it 
really go for it and do that. You want someone who can ping it into him, <clears throat> you can lend it to him to get it back. And when you have the likes of Fernandes and Pogba, that's what they want to do. And they want that belief to get the ball forward early into someone rather than trying to find someone who would rather be facing the other way because that's all it is with with Martial. He's not going to come and face the ball. He's going to want to keep running behind. And, and the problem is defenders get wise to that. You need, they're just going to they'll just drop off and they don't leave any space for him to go into. Yeah, that's the thing about Martial, and a lot of people like him, and I like him as well. But I think the big question mark over him is: you see a player like Pogba, you see especially see a player like Rashford who comes in and takes responsibility. People say, "Oh, Martial's not that kind of player." Well, I'll tell you. If Martial doesn't become that kind of player, then he can find his. Um, it, it will look like his time will be shortened at United yeah. because he, he's going to need to take responsibility himself. I'm not saying change the way that he plays, but he certainly needs to take more responsibility. Um, on that theme, you wouldn't question Dan James of shirking his responsibility at all, but it, obviously it, the question marks were being asked before the break, and and he certainly didn't have a great game against Spurs. A difficult time for him. Another column that we've had on the website through um, John O'Kane, former United defender, but it raises a really good point, um, which is I mean, it's pretty much a straightforward one because Mason Greenwood made such a difference against Spurs. The second he comes onto the pitch, there's instant penetration there, um, and United look dangerous, and Greenwood obviously nearly scores as well. So. It's a straightforward one. Greenwood in for James. You've got two players with sort of green, um, ex- inexperienced. But at the moment, Paul, um, it's, a, it's a good call, isn't it? Greenwood probably deserves the starts at the moment. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. At that, at this moment in time, if you're talking about between the two of them, you would go yes, because you've got one who's had a very good football education, while you've had another one, who another lad who's had a different kind of football education, but not. Not a top level football. It's it's been it's been in a, a different level of football, and he's raw. And if teams if teams drop deep, he struggles because of you need more than pace. And if teams squeeze tight and you're up against the better sides, you got need that little bit of know how. And he's still he's still learning. And to have played him in the first game, I find that very very strange because. <clears throat> When I saw that team and I saw him play and I went, this isn't going to work out and it, and it was right. I think he, he, needs to, he needs to step away and he needs to learn. And, I'm, and it's not easy. For, it's, I don't think it's easy for him. And when you're that way and he's thinking, what, you know, he's come in and he's seen, mostly looking at Mason Greenwood and thinking, you know, and maybe knowing it himself and maybe be interested in where his confidence level is. But I just wonder, was it the right decision to play him? And maybe he should have come off earlier than what he did because mm. he just wasn't there wasn't anything happening and the game wasn't the game wasn't set out for him the way that game was it wasn't set out for him at all there wasn't anywhere for him to run in behind and when he did get that opportunity for the cross he overhit it big time um, first half Marcus Rashford's on the far post coming in at the back of the six yard box he was on his own typical Aurier defending I think he'd gone out looking for a hot dog stand but not knowing they weren't open um, and he was there on his own all he had to do was just drop it into an area there wasn't anyone around him but he didn't he overhit it and it almost went out for a throw in and that was the opportunity pre- that premium b- premium position to get to and, and he didn't deliver and it was needed to be done. So I can't believe that Ollie's going to start of him next game. I think he's got to maybe put a lot more into Mason Greenwood. And as much he, he appreciates and he respects the boss, I think he's got to really go and show that he's thinking that way. He's got a young player. Give him a few games. Let him say that he can play. He is going to play. He's going to play two or three, at least two or three games and let him believe that he's got an opportunity to prove a point. If he goes in and score, you go with it. If he plays well... You go with it. If he doesn't play well against Sheffield United, you still go with him and you let him believe that he's done enough and he's earned the right to be there. But you can't keep swapping and changing that much. Some way, given the amount of games left, 
you can virtually run with the same team all the way through. Surely players can do that now. The, the ball's not in play anywhere near as, as it was in my time. They say the game's quicker, but the game doesn't run as long. It isn't as physically demanding as what it was in my time, where players keep going and going, because players now, someone touches them, they fall down, they have a roll, they have a rest. Someone gives them a cup of tea, they, <clears throat> they suck on the grass, they pull faces. No. <clears throat> so... I think that he's got he's got to virtually get try and gain some continuity with that team to really push for that Champions League spot because need three points against Sheffield United. Chelsea look quite strong. They've they're gonna to add to it, I think, after because a Dutch boy can come in, so as an attacking force they're gonna improve. So to to catch Chelsea is gonna to be tough. If anything, maybe hope that hope that Leicester might make a little bit of a slide and maybe drop away to, to get the opportunity to get into that top four because I'm still saying it's got to be let's look at top look at top four because there's no guarantee that City are going to City are going to be pulled out of it um, because of the UEFA situation yeah absolutely um, some listener questions before we talk about Sheffield United then the first one from Kieran Wood he asks do we think that David De Gea's time is up um, obviously, this is in response to the um, to what happened at Sheffield. Uh, sorry, at Spurs on, on on Friday night. What do you think, Paul? Um, this is. I mean, do you think that Roy has made it more difficult for De Gea, or do you think that people would be asking these questions anyway? Maybe people always ask that questions because he. I mean, he's you know because it has been difficult for him. I still say he's one person on his own. Mm. Anything anything that happens, you know, it goes at him. I still question Harry Maguire massively, massively question him, but no one's going at him because Roy's put the emphasis on David De Gea. That's the, that's the power of, of the, the media world, really. Yeah. Roy doesn't really go at it as strong. Or they have someone else sitting there. Patrice Evra's there, but Patrice Evra will say, what, will say whatever he can. He's never going to be negative at United because I think he's still looking for a job there. Somewhere along the line, he's looking for something, so he's not going to be negative. Um, Roy says, says it as it is, and <clears throat> fair play to Roy for doing that. But he, he definitely hasn't, he's affected people's minds, and we have to remember the good work that De Gea had done. Has he dropped a bit? Yes. Have certain other players on that pitch United dropped a bit? Yes, they have. But no one's questioning them because they've made a lot of mistakes, but a lot of them get covered up and not singled out because, because there's always somebody behind to protect them when it does maybe go past them. I personally think that he's still a good goalkeeper. I think he, he can become a top goalkeeper again because that could just suddenly change when he makes... I mean, you, you, you still forget the save he made after yeah, he, yeah. he had that, the save. He, you know, it's incredible from the header from, from Sun. Yeah. Great, great save that was. I mean, he, he couldn't do any... Um, Sun couldn't do any more. He, he, he did it. Everything was textbook. The delivery from Bergvine and the header. Perfect. But he was a great save, but we don't talk about that. It's one point, and that's what the power of the press can do. Just isolate everything and get people's heads thinking about Open. Everyone's got to open their minds up and think about what that man has done over previous seasons. And yes, that, that goes to a point, but I still think he's owed a little bit. He's owed a bit, really, in that sense, to still believe, for everyone to understand, they've still got one of the best goalkeepers in world football. Yeah. It definitely have, and is his time up at this moment after his first game back after thirty, after ninety odd days? His first game back, and that happens. You got to remember how hard that lad kicked that ball. How hard did he strike that ball at him? Sh short backlift, by the way. So he's mostly caught him a little bit unawares. Now you get someone to do that to you, when, and see how you deal with the ball. Do you push it away? 20 yards to your left-hand side or does it slightly just flip your wrist back a little bit because of the velocity and you can't really control it and it goes into the roof if he if he's if he gets that little bit more in it and it goes past the post everyone goes great fantastic he's one of the best in the world and the margins are so minimal for goalkeepers compare compared to a really slow flat-footed center half yeah i think um with the hair I certainly think he's got plenty more to give United. Yeah. But the thing for me is that he's so familiar. United fans are familiar with him, and certainly those who, let's say, the sort of like last five or six years, where um, there's a lot of newer supporters who 
perhaps they think that De Gea is responsible for some of the decline where, you know, <laughs> instead of responsible for keeping us out of N- relegation fights. Why, why nail on the head, mate, newer supporters, everything about life is about new. Everything is about entitlement. Yeah. Nothing's about history anymore. We've forgotten history. Absolutely forgotten what history is all about. I, I will say, I think that there are probably one or two older fans who, who, who think that the, there should be a change. But I would say, be careful what you wish for. You, you, yeah. want, you want a little bit of change because you think that there's going to be better. But it's like when people were sort of keen, they thought, oh, well, Ryan Giggs is retiring. He's, he's 40. You're not going to miss him. You do miss him because oh, of his quality. Oh, no, but yeah, that, that's right. And, and the older ones will, will always remember that old adage of careful of what you wish for. The younger ones don't. They just see something and they react very reactive. That's why that stupid thing on the phone is there that social media app that's why that that's what that's all about really and it's amazing how powerful it's come for virtual idiots on there idiots who are on there religiously spouting out really things to try and flip people's minds but maybe if united are going to be positive about the situation about De Gea maybe test him turn around and say to um, Henderson you're not going out alone. You're going to sit here. We want you to sit here because we're looking at you to take this man's place. Do you get a reaction from De Gea? Does he sulk or does he suddenly, he's, everything change? Does it brighten him up? Henderson might not be happy, but he's been told and he mostly he might believe that he's brought him back because they're thinking of a change. It's a double-edged sword what's going to go on. But when you're sitting there with the, with the goalkeeper sitting behind him, he's saying to himself, well... He's happy being a number two. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be a number one. He hasn't been a number one throughout his career. The only time he's number one is when he plays for his national team. The rest. So he's got nothing pushing him. Nothing pushing him at all. And as we know in life, and especially after what we're going through in life at this moment in time, people have. Some people have been off work for nearly a hundred days. A lot of them have got no appetite to go back. So you think sometimes when you're sitting back on your heels, as maybe De Gea is at the moment, he needs something to engage him, maybe a push of someone behind who's threatening his place, maybe the one, because no one knows how good he is, Romero. No one really knows. They're only talking about him in little bursts, and he's done well. But he has made a few mistakes over the last few games when he's come in for those little cup games. The The odd little one. But because he's kind of in and he's out for a long period... It gets forgotten about very, very quickly. But there is a reason why Romero is a number two. And people have to look at his career and understand he does, he's got no great ambition in being a number one. Yeah, I think it's a great point about pushing De Gea. Um, and people might say, oh, well, that's not fair on Henderson, who's done well, but that's football. That's football. It's football, exactly if, right. If you bring Henderson back and say he's going to play 10. 15 games next season and the byproduct of that is that De Gea returns to his best form then that's win-win for United um, yeah correct have to put the team first and the club first yeah absolutely so a couple of more trivial questions one from Martin 99 Morris on Twitter he says Paul almost ran me over in Cheadle Hume in 1994 in his sob does he <laughs> does he think the question is does he think it was my fault his fault or six to one and half a dozen of the other <laughs> I'm going to turn around and say, is every chance that was my fault? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've moved on from those days, and I'll say there's every chance that that could have, that could have been me. It could have been my music. My music was up too loud, and I was more concerned, more concerned about my blacks, my black Saab with its white piping on the black seats. <laughs> looking at that rather than looking in front of me. There you go, Martin. A concession for you there. Um, and finally, a question from Dan X. Um, fan of the show, um, long time listener. He says all of his family are Spurs fans. He's got 36 of them and he's the only United fan. He, he asks how he can get rid of them, but in all seriousness, he asks what your best moments in football off the pitch were, uh, United or otherwise. Were they at United? Well, they could have been anywhere. He just says that the best moments in football off the pitch. <coughs> off the pitch, the best moments off the pitch. Um, oh, blimey. No one's ever asked me that before. I think, if I'm going to say off the pitch, I, I would have to say is finding... I would have to say finding my feet after I stopped playing was maybe the best thing <clears throat> that happened to me, really. Yeah. If I'm going to look at it that way, going away from football, taking it away from football is the fact of 
it took me a long while to get used to not being a professional footballer. It took me a long, long time. Even when I <clears throat> went in and I got involved, got involved with a vehicle leasing company, and I'm a car freak, as um, as it got mentioned before, because I, I, I idolised Saab cars. I loved Saab convertibles. I still, I still, in a way, if I could get one, a decent, I'd still drive a Saab now. But um, but I just enjoyed the thing about cars. <clears throat> I tried to do that thing that would take me away. Didn't work. I become a a coach, assistant manager, become a manager, still wasn't content really. And and all of us after a while I got involved with um MUTV was the first real regular thing I got. I was there for when it first started. I was on it for a long, long time doing all different bits. Thoroughly loved it. Thoroughly still loved going to Manchester. And then even then I was still missing the point and wasn't there as a person. But I would I would say that the thing that done it for me really was going overseas. It wasn't the intention, but I went overseas and I couldn't get anywhere near football here as such. I only could read about it and, and watch it and felt a million miles away from it. And I suddenly got my head right around that I was away from it and I've come back and I'm so much better in everything I do. I think I'm a, a different person, a little bit more, a lot more humble than what I was before and suddenly realised that I've said and done a few wrong things with people and life in general, really. Wow, <laughs> wasn't expecting that kind of answer. Mm. Um, there you go, Dan, some, some therapy from Paul Parker there. Um, lastly, let's talk about the Sheffield United game then, playing them on Wednesday. You mentioned that they had some rotten luck at Villa Park, and they did. Um, but then against Newcastle, they sort of capitulated after that red card. Mm. Um, and it was a capitulation. They look, I mean, I didn't think they looked really good before that, but then they really fell apart after the red card. Felt a little bit sorry for themselves. Um, but Chris Wilder's gonna have. I mean, they're coming to Old Trafford. Then you know, there's gonna be no fans there, but they're still gonna be up for the occasion. So United are obviously gonna have to be on the front foot with this. But um, you mentioned earlier, it's still gonna be a difficult game. You think? Yeah, it's still going to be difficult. It might even be more difficult after what's happened to them. They they lost one of their best players prior to the prior to the start of this second stage of the season in Egan. Mm. They lost. Was it Egan? Or was it? I'm trying to think. It was Egan. Was it? They lost. I'm trying to think. They lost. They lost one of their centre halves. I can't think which one it was. We missed to get the first game against Villa. Then they've had the sending off. Yeah. Which didn't help, and so it hasn't really gone their way. Then they had the misfortune of. Um, the system, a system not working. VAR not bothering. The referee not willing to make a mistake. As a, I'm not willing to actually make a decision as a human being now because now he's been aided by technology. He's forgotten that he's a human being. He can think on his own. So that didn't help Sheffield United. I just think, as they say, they turn around and say there's a there's a there's a, a grizzly bear that's not happy. It's been poked. So they've got to be careful on that side of it. And when you look, when I look at their um, the way they are and what they are Sheffield United is something moves them because they are an organised unit they are not individuals they are a collective force and they got slightly ruffled and they didn't know how to di- they couldn't adapt to it because maybe they, they're they so system orientated they struggled now they've had time to collect themselves they're going to come to Old Trafford okay not the same Old Trafford as 70 plus there but still one hell of a stadium, a stadium that every player wants to play at. Every player, a lot of them wants to play there regularly rather than just twice a season. So they're going to go there and they're going to, still going to be up for it, believing that they can go and do something, which they've done to every big club they've played. Mm. They go there they go there, and they threaten them. And they generally do get something out of the game. So we have to remember that. And yes, they took a beating at Newcastle. That's the best that Newcastle have played all season. Yeah. And the problem was is that their fans didn't see it properly. <laughs> so that says a lot, doesn't it, really? I feel pleased for Brucey, but I'd rather it had been in front of the fans for him because people are always going to throw that up. You know, and everyone's trying to get Steve out and you know, everyone's putting a negative in it. Everything good that Newcastle do, they throw a negative in front of Steve Bruce, which is a crying shame. So I'm... Um, so I think that United have to be very, very careful in this one. It's, again, a lot of the players, United players, and I know they've they've done game, they've had games at Old Trafford <clears throat> to try and get used to it, but they they weren't high intensity games. They weren't games that mattered. This game matters, even though it's still gonna 
initially seemed like a odd game, another cliche, a pre-season friendly, but they have to be there from the start because if you don't get yourself into gear from the start, <clears throat> the only way you're going to get yourself back into gear if you do it yourself. There's no fans to rollick here to get you going. You have to do it yourself. And that's the thing. You need, if you've got, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 outfield self-motivated footballers, there's a very good chance you're going to be successful over this period of time. Yeah, we'll learn a lot about United's yeah. players in that regard, won't we? Um, and you would say about Sheffield United, without wanting to be condescending to them, that the feeling that they'll get from a nil-nil draw at Old Trafford would be very different from the nil-nil that they got at Villa Park. So mm. um, they would be sufficiently motivated for that. And that about does it for this week. Um, like I said earlier, check out the website. That's talkofthedevils.co.uk for those exclusive columns from Gordon Hill and John O'Kane with more to come as well. Um, also, the first episode of this podcast where I um, edited a, a 2015 interview I did with Tommy Doherty. That's up um, available now for listening as well. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it or review it as well. We do... Real- <coughs> Frogging my throat there. We do rely on word of mouth at the minute, especially trying to get this back off the ground. Yes, it is obviously very great to talk with Paul just as a privilege, but it does really make the difference to us if you share it and give us feedback on social media as well. We'll be back next week to talk about United's um, games in front of nobody. (laughs) But thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back next week. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.